Hey everyone, I'm your host Tom Shaughnessy and welcome back to Chain Reaction, a research-driven podcast that's a part of Delphi Digital. If you're not on Delphi's research portal, you're missing out on the critical analysis read by the top minds in the crypto space, so be sure to check it out. One quick housekeeping item, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. I may personally hold tokens mentioned on the podcast and you can view our show notes below for our complete disclosures. With that, let's jump into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Delphi Clubhouse. Today we're thrilled to have on Scoopy from Alchemix. We're thrilled to invest in Alchemix recently, along with Spartan Group and others. Uh, Jason Choi from Spartan should be joining us uh, soon. And Scoopy, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great, man. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be on with you guys tonight. Yeah, well, thrilled to have you. I know it's late for you. So let's dive right in. I mean, where did you get the idea for Alchemix? Was it, was it your idea? Was it somebody else's? Um, and if you could just give a a quick elevator pitch for those new to the story, that would be helpful. Yeah, yeah. So um, back in uh, June 2020, um, my longtime friend, um, Dr. Derivative, um, he's the CTO of uh, Alchemix. He approached me with an idea for a DeFi app. Um, at the time, I was uh, you know, just a humble Web2 uh, developer doing uh, mostly React apps. And I'd always wanted to, you know, start building something on Ethereum. And uh, when he approached me to build a UI for him, I thought this would be a good excuse to learn uh, Web3 UI. Uh, back then, uh, we called our project CheeseFi. That was before Sushi or Gam or any other food tokens. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the whole idea for CheeseFi was that you would lock die for between 10 and 100 days. And depending on how long you locked and how much you uh, put in, uh, you would get these... Uh, cheese tokens uh, immediately and then that that die would be put into uh into idle because uh urine didn't exist at the time and then we would harvest the yield from idle to buy back the cheese tokens from a uniswap market so creating this kind of like yield token you know like that it would kind of represent yield but then like we did a lot of research on this uh this, this model and uh you know, a lot of the stuff about the uh, MEV, minor tractable value, and, uh, you know, came to, to, to light. And there was a, a, a big chance that uh, cheese pie would have failed because of uh, sandwich attacks, where, uh, if, let's say, if you go to buy a token um, on Uniswap and uh, you have pretty high slippage, then somebody could come in and buy it right before you and then sell it right after you and extracting profit in the process. And if this happened enough, then that concept would completely fail. So we had to go back to the drawing board. And eventually, after a few more iterations, we came up with the uh, alchemic system. Uh, when it still like you know, embodies the whole idea of getting your yield up front, but we thought we came up with something a lot more superior by being able to uh, tokenize that yield in the form of, of a liquid stable. Makes a lot of sense. Appreciate the intro. And, and Jason Troy from Spartan Group just joined us. How's it going, Jason? It's hey, Scooby. How are you guys? Good. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me here. Excited to join you guys. Yeah. So, Jason, we're just diving in. You know, feel free to lob questions Scoopy's way, and you know, we'll go back and forth. We'll keep this conversational. But, Scoopy, can you give us just a 
I guess just a brief overview of like how to use Alchemex, what users on both sides get from using the platform, and then we could dive um, deeper into Alchemex itself. Yeah, so um, Alchemix is a system that allows you to uh, realize the future yield of your deposits in urn vaults uh, immediately. So let's say like uh, you put like you know like ten thousand dollars in urn and that's making fifteen percent a year. A year later, that would be you know fifteen hundred dollars worth of uh, you know yield that you would earn from that. With Alchemix, you can get that you know right now. Um, it's sort of like a CDP system built on top of urn. So you can take up to uh, 50% of your die collateral in AlUSD. So you put in 10,000, you can uh, draw 5,000 um, AlUSD. And um, what's really cool about this is that when we harvest yield from urine, it actually pays down your AlUSD debt in the system. So it's a loan that pays itself off. Uh, it might take it, you know, a couple, two, three years to completely pay it off if you do a max borrow, but you know, it's it's a pretty cool concept. You know, instead of you paying interest, we pay borrowers interest. So I think it's kind of neat that we flipped, you know, the script on how lending traditionally works. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, we just had a Paul Barop, Paul from our side as well. So interested to to dive in. And Scooby, what's the alternative, I guess, for people to use Alchemex? Like, where do people go today to get leverage? Like, it's just, instead of using Alchemex, you just go to Compound, you just go to Aave? Um, Yeah, I mean, if you, you know, you want to get leverage, yeah, typically you would go to an Aave, you go to a Compound, deposit a collateral, and then you would, uh, you know, be able to draw assets from it. Um, and, you know, it's a, those are awesome systems, and they can do a lot of things that Alchemex can't do. Um, like, for example, in Aave or Compound, you could deposit ETH and then borrow any of the assets that are available there with us. You can only do, like, uh, DAI to AlUSD, and eventually we'll add more stable coins uh, in our version 2 of Alchemix. So, you know, it'll be not just DAI, but also Tether, USDC, uh, SUSD, and other ones as they become more viable. Um, so we only work in uh, mirror assets because if we didn't, then we would um, have to have uh, liquidations because that's you know something we don't have in Alchemix. You cannot get liquidated. So you know it's a little bit of a trade-off uh, between Aave versus Alchemix in that re- in that regard. It's good. I'm, I'm curious because obviously being able to monetize your yield upfront has a lot of different implications. What are some of the most ex- interesting use cases that? you've seen people talk about when it comes to being able to kind of just borrow against your future yield? Like what, what, what are people doing with that money they're getting up front? Well, um, I'm sure some of you guys know that I'm in uh, eGrow Capital, uh, pseudo-anon VC uh, collective. And one thing that uh, the other members in eGrow are really eager to see is some type of investment portal where, you know, like, let's say like a, a VC whale can come in with like, you know, 20 million die and that they could, you know, draw out 10 million LUSD to use in investment rounds. And they think that's a really powerful tool because, you know, all of a sudden that risk that you take as an investor is now, you know, essentially risk free because that capital, your capital base will return back to you. Um, and I think that's one very compelling use case. Um, that's something that, you know, Um, us having a liquid peg really uh, facilitates at this moment. I mean, I'm also thinking personally, 
Like, let's say I know I'm going to need $60,000 for my, you know, annual household budget this upcoming year. I can just take that out, uh, you know, using my collateral in, in Alchemix and just, you know, have peace of mind that I have, you know, a nice budget for my family. Also, like, imagine you buy a car using an Alchemix loan. You know, instead of, you know, wasting money on a depreciating asset, it's almost like you're breaking even at the end and actually coming out ahead because the car will essentially pay for itself. Scoopy, so do you view it as, I guess the question is like, just from an investment perspective, like you have, you have an opportunity cost, right? Because you have to deposit die to mint your ALUSD and then you could, I guess, earn yield on ALUSD. But like if I have a thousand dollars worth of die you know, what's the benefit of just putting that in compound and earning the yield? I guess, I guess you kind of answered this already, but I guess I'm just wondering what this looks like at, you know, a full market kind of cycle with full adoption. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea is that like, you know, you could even do the same thing in alchemics. Like if you put in like, you know, a thousand die and don't draw any AlUSD, you will see that uh, your AlUSD credits go up every single time that we harvest. So it's essentially the same thing as being in a urine vault. Uh, anyway, except that it now opens up a uh, it's a line of credit that it opens up on top of it, so it makes it more capital efficient. Got it. Yeah, you get to pull all the yield basically to the starting point, which is pretty cool. And I guess my other question, I'll throw it back to Jason and Paul: Is there like you're doing this for yield farming, so people could mint ALUSD, pull all their yield kind of forward? Is there a way to do this for like the long tail of yield farming assets? Like you know, if I'm in some yield farm. Can I pull all my yield up front? I guess it would be kind of hard to do that from a risk perspective, though, because a lot of the farms are new and volatile. So, I mean, one thing that we've noticed a lot of users are doing is that uh, since, you know, the ALCX price has, uh, you know, been doing pretty well, uh, that a lot of people are, you know, just, you know, borrowing AlUSD and then going into the three curve pool, which uh, is like a, it's like, yeah, it's a curve pool. And then we incentivize it in our farm, the LP tokens. And so people are farming with their Al USD that way. But we also envision like, you know, you know, let's say, you know, you, you want to go into this new Uniswap like gem and like, you're like, I don't know if I want to use all my capital base on it, but I could like, you know, I could throw $500 at it. Let me get some Al USD for that. And then you get rugged, you know, because it's Uniswap. <laughs> Uh, but with us, you know, like you're not going to get wrecked at the end. You might, uh, you know, have your die locked in the system for a little while if you want to wait for the loan to mature. But at the end of the day, you're not going to end up losing anything other than like opportunity cost. Yeah, and I also was uh, I was tossing this idea to you, Scoopy, earlier today on Telegram that for crypto natives who want to invest in different projects or want to participate in new communities, it's a really interesting tool because say I have a core Ethereum position that I'll probably never sell, right? I'm just earning ETH, uh, yield on it. I'm just holding it as a passive position. I can now basically borrow against that ETH and get cash up front to invest in whatever I want without ever having to worry about that loan position. So I don't have to go and monitor my liquidation ratio, my collateral ratio, which as people who live through the Black Thursday know, it, it, it's, it could be a quiet a troublesome um, experience, especially when gas costs are so high that you can't liquidate yourself. So I, I think for crypto natives, especially, this seems like a really cool tool. But I'm, I'm curious about in terms of you know expanding beyond the crypto natives, because right now we're talking a lot about yield farming, a lot about maybe bringing cash up into invest in things. Do you see people outside of crypto or maybe more of a newcomer to crypto also finding Alchemix as a useful tool? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I think right now, I mean, just like where crypto is and DeFi is, you know, needing to know how to use MetaMask and things like that, make it something that only really the hardcore users use. Um, it's something that's really only aimed at, you know, DeFi users already. But I definitely think this would be appealing to, you know, you know, quote unquote normies out there. It's just a matter of like, you know, wider crypto and DeFi adoption to to bring it to them. I mean, a lot of people in the community are, are like clamoring for, for something like a, a credit card using Alchemix. And, you know, I'm not saying it's happening, but I think it's possible. I mean, it certainly makes sense on paper. I'm sure we'd have to forge some really, really strong partnerships in order to get something like that done. But like, you know, people's minds and their imaginations are racing with ideas. And, uh, you know, like me and my team, like we are really listening and in tune with our community who we think are like really, really smart. Uh, they've, you know, already given us a few really good ideas uh, for some improvements that we're going to be trying to incorporate into Alchemix soon. That's awesome. Paul, we'll throw it your way. I'm sure you have a couple of questions. Your Wi-Fi is good. Hey, how's it going, guys? Yeah, sorry if I cut out. My Wi-Fi is not great. But it's gonna be, I, was, I was wondering if um, you ever see the possibility of like cross-asset um, borrowing where I deposit ETH into a, an ETH vault and then I, I'm able to borrow some other type of asset. Yeah, yeah. So um, in version two of Alchemix, um, we're going to add... ETH as a collateral type, so you can borrow ETH with it, and they're going to add BTC as a collateral type, or rather WBTC, so you can borrow BTC. But we're also planning to add um, ZAPs into the contract, so instead of just saying, oh, I'm going to borrow WBTC, you could say, oh, I'm going to zap my WBTC into, um, I don't know, Sushi or Dai or something else. So it'll abstract that and you know save the user a lot of time in that process. But the, the debt would still be denominated in WBTC in that example. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Oh, if we change it up where like you could put in like AlUSD and then borrow ETH or something like that, it would require that we would have to do liquidations and, you know, use oracles and all this other kind of like extra stuff that, you know, I think would take away from some of the elegance of the system. Uh, but by using like zaps and stuff like that, I think we can abstract it away and make it a really nice UX for uh, users. So there's a lot to look forward to for V2. Hey, Scoopy, could you kind of dive into just, and we probably should have hit on this earlier on, but can you just dive into how the peg for AlUSD is maintained? Yeah, so it's maintained in uh, three separate ways at this current moment. Uh, one is all the dye that goes um, into our vaults uh, gets sent to urine and it's earning interest. And when we harvest it, first the system counts that harvest as a uh, decrement of your own debt in LUSD, but then it gets sent to this uh, transmuter module. And the transmuter is a module that allows you to swap LUSD to dye one to one. And the idea is is that like you know the future yield will eventually pay off you know you know the LUSD in there. And that's how we were anticipating it to work. It would be like a slow trip going in, and over time, you would be able to get your LUSD positions built to die. But we had some very unexpected behavior from um, our users. They discovered this uh, very degen strategy where, because um, at the time when LUSD farms just launched, uh, the curve pool, rather, uh, LUSD was at a premium. And so what they found out is that they could deposit die, max borrow LUSD, and then 
use their collateral, their die collateral to repay their debt using the liquidate function. So you can liquidate yourself, right? And in doing so, then they were able to withdraw the remainder of their collateral, but they put that in the three-curve pool. So that was a really big boost to liquidity for the three-curve pool. But the interesting thing about that is, is that all that liquidated die went into the transmuter. And right now there is a 180 million die in the transmuter. Um, so that's effectively a $180 million buy wall for LUSD to die at this point. So with that, that's a really, really strong pegging mechanism. I know that there's been a, a few uh, whales who have been taking advantage of uh, the transmuter uh, for arbitraging the different rates on the uh, curve finance pool. And the other part of the, uh, the formula is uh, incentivizing the liquidity and the pay uh, via the yield farming. So those three um, aspects together have uh, made for an extremely liquid and uh, LUSD pool and a strong peg at the same time. Maybe it'd be good to kind of take this opportunity to kind of take a step back as well to understand what LUSD is just for our listeners, because there are a lot of kind of yield accruing um, tokens out there, right? So like C tokens in Compound and you got the A tokens from Aave. So in what key ways are these L tokens different from the C tokens and the A tokens out there? Well, at this current moment, um, we don't have the AL tokens in any um, in any lending markets. Uh, we're waiting on a few infrastructure pieces to, to come along uh, in order for that to happen. Uh, TBA soon, but when that happens, I think uh, I think there's uh, some people that are interested in listing LUSD as an asset in their uh, in their uh, lending protocols. So that will uh, then kind of bring parity to LUSD compared to, you know, the CDI, CUSDC, ADI, et cetera. But the, another thing is like, if like, let's say the, the LUSD peg drops really low, you know, it becomes an arbitrage opportunity for people in two different ways. Um, you can repay your vault or your Alchemix vault debt using LUSD. So if you see that it's now like, you know, 95 cents on the market, you'd be like, oh, I'm going to scoop up a bunch and pay off my my debt fast now or for cheap. And the other thing is that somebody could scoop it off off the market for cheap and then put it through the uh, the transmuter and then arb the, uh, the difference in price there. Both of these things, these strategies uh, also further uh, stabilize uh, LUSD as a, as a stable coin there. So there, there's multiple market forces that you can take advantage of in LUSD that can, you know, earn you an edge or some alpha. And this is something that that I'm personally curious on, and I think we've discussed this before, Scooby. But I know some people might look at Alchemix in its version today, uh, before kind of knowing what the version two is and uh, these other products that you guys are working on, and they might think that okay, this seems like a feature that maybe someone like a compound or Aave can build with, like an existing lending protocol can implement on top of them. So what would be your reply to them? And how would you, um, not justify, but how would you kind of explain why Alchemix is needed as a separate product in and of itself? Well, um, I'll give the same canned uh, response that I gave to you uh, in our, <laughs> our block crunch recording. Um, you know, I kind of disagree that, uh, that we're just a feature. Uh, we're a product that's tailor-made for our features, right? That one that hasn't been done uh, anywhere in the tra- traditional finance world or in DeFi. It's something so foreign that nobody kind of dared or imagined to do it. 
but also to kind of expand on that, like in order for like an Aave or compound to do something like this, they'd have to like, come, like restructure their products from the ground up. They would probably have to increase the borrowing rates or put users collateral and yield aggregators. And I don't know if they would want to do this because these are like really like backbone projects for DeFi. Like these things are like the lifeblood of DeFi. And if they were to go higher up the, the Lego stack, you know, I think it might introduce risk that might not be, you know, good for their systems. So, you know, if they also wanted to keep the flexibility of their systems, you know, being able to put in die, then borrow, you know, eat, you know, for example, you know, they would have to have liquidation modules in there, which they, like they do, which we don't, you know. So there, there are some key differentiating advantages between, you know, Alchemix and, uh, and, you know, the other lending protocols. You know, I don't think we're competitors per se, you know, to Compound or Aave. They have certain qualities that we cannot integrate um, because we're only doing like mirrored assets, stablecoin to stablecoin, ETH to Ali, WBTC to LBTC, uh, you know, things like that. It's both a feature and a limitation of our system. And I guess like, Maybe those other products, could, you know, uh, projects could you know, make a stable coin that's, you know, uses the funding rate uh, or the difference between the funding rate of the borrowing and lending. And I think that's compelling. I just don't know if it's as scalable as um, the LUSD system is in Alchemix. Hey, Scoopy, one side question. That was an awesome question and answer, Jason and Scoopy. Just when we're thinking about just the protocol overall, so I like, one of the key features, obviously, your sticking point is you just get an advance in your yield farming yield via like a synthetic token. Do you envision, I guess, just moving along the strategy side, like, are you going to allow the community to decide where that yield is earned? Like, I think it's in urine today, but, you know, could you, you know, could I potentially, you know, could we potentially deposit that die in idle or somewhere else? Or I guess, how do you guys think about the different areas where you could earn that yield potentially faster so people can get repaid faster? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So you know how um, MakerDAO uh, single collateral die, it was just you put in ETH and there was one ETH vault and you could draw you know die from it. And then when they went to multi-collateral die, a whole host of uh, different pools kind of opened up. And now when you go to Oasis app, it's like a you know, a long, long list of, of different uh, vaults that you can go into, you know, you, you'll keep on scrolling and scrolling. I think there's like over 40 different you know, vaults that you can go into. And I think that we're going to be doing something similar to that in version two, where, you know, for, for, if you deposit die, not only, you know, can you choose to go into the urine YB vault, uh, but maybe if, you know, that is a little bit too risky for your appetite, you could choose to go into Aave or Compound. Or you could choose to go into StakeDAO or Rary Capital or uh, one of the other yield aggregators in the space. Um, so that way you can kind of shop around for rates um, and also kind of balance it with your own risk appetite. Awesome. That makes that makes a lot of sense. And that'll be awesome to see. And I wanted to switch over to like your native token value accrual, but you know, I'll lob it over to Paul and Jason if you guys have any more questions on the, the project itself. Um, I'll go from my end. Uh, I think I have something that's non-project related, but uh, I can save that for later. Yeah, we can always bounce around. Paul, what about you? Yeah, any developments on more the, the DAO level progress would be great. Oh, um, I'm not sure if I'm ready to talk about the Alchemics DAO. I'm supposed to be dropping a Medium article this week. 
Uh, Scoopy, we could uh, we we could save you the article. <laughs> How many listeners do we have in here? Oh man, that's a lot. So let's see. I guess I can um, offer some thoughts about this, and this will also um, kind of answer Tom's question about value approval. I don't want to go into all the details about the uh, the DAO, but the current plan for it is that ALCX stakers can go into the DAO, and uh, currently, uh, right now, when we harvest yield from urine. Uh, 10% of that uh, gets taken to the treasury. Uh, we've been averaging somewhere around uh, like uh, around four, three to four thousand dollars a day uh, harvested from or a day harvested from that that goes right to the treasury. So we already have a, a decent cash flow on uh, we have 70 million dollars or million to die in the uh, the urine vaults. Um, we're going to be working on integrating the money and the transmuter to uh, to further also bolster the treasury and do some other cool stuff with it. Uh, we're figuring out exactly what we can do with it at the moment, uh, but we definitely have some ideas. So between, you know, that and the, uh, the die we have in the, uh, the alchemist or alchemics vault, we should be having a really, really nice cash flow. And as we increase in TVL and we have more collateral types, uh, LUSD supply goes up, you know, they'll just be that much larger of a capital base and that, that 10% harvest fee. And then that's the transmitter will be, uh, will be flowing into the, the treasury. But when people stake out alchemics tokens, then what we're planning to do is just passing all that on to the alchemic stakers. So that will create uh, alchemics into a cash flow token. So it won't just be LUSD, it'll be the ETH, it'll be, you know, our Bitcoin, uh, any other our tokens that we add in the future, they'll all be uh, you know part of the revenue stream for Alchemics uh, stakers. Hey, Scoopy, one quick question on Paul's question. So you guys take a percent of the yield and that will flow to the DAO, but I guess that is kind of at odds with the higher percent you guys take, the longer it takes for people's loans to get repaid. So how do you strike a good balance between wanting to reward the stakers, but also taking like the minimal amount you can so that everyone's loans are repaid faster. And I, I might be thinking about this wrong, but love to get your thoughts. Well, if you look at any of the, uh, the vault products, they, they have a fee model that usually is somewhere like, I think pickle uses like maybe 5% of the profit, but then they take a 0.5% uh, on withdrawal from your collateral. And I think uh, urine version two is they have a 20% uh, fee on the profit, but no withdrawal fee. So, you know, with that in mind, we thought 10% would be a fair thing for us to, uh, to charge because, you know, we still do have to run operations to, to harvest and do other things as a DAO. So we needed some uh, revenue stream in order to sustain the protocol. And we thought 10% was a nice happy medium that it wouldn't take too much yield away from uh, our stakers. And it would still also provide us, you know, you know, decent cash flow for operations. Got it. That makes sense. I'll, uh, I'll see to Jason and Paul. Also um, in uh, participating in the urine affiliate program as well. So that's another uh, additional source of uh, revenue that'll be coming in. That's cool. Yeah. It's an interesting balance. And uh, it sounds like you guys have a nice happy medium there, which is great. Yeah, we want to do what's best for the users and still have a sustainable protocol at the same time. And I always felt like, you know, 10% is a fair number. You know, like, you know, if I was running a government tax, 10%, that sounds really good, right? It's not too bad. I think everybody would be happy to pay 10% tax. 
Yeah, no, that's that's totally fair. I'll uh, I'll see to Jason and Paul because I just asked one. And this is more of a general question, but um, what what would you say are the biggest challenges for Alchemix right, uh, in terms of you know growing this to you know the next you know million users? Like, what what are the biggest obstacles in the way? Right now, I think our our bottleneck is um, sourcing talent. We uh, we're actively uh, trying to bring some more people onto the team. I think we might have a couple people joining us over the next uh, couple of weeks. And when we have that, we'll have more bandwidth to uh, more integrations with other uh, projects in DeFi and also might have more bandwidth to, uh, to, you know, do uh, to perform like community requests. Like they want us to make a, an auto compounder for our farms. And it's like, hey, do you want that? Or do you want me too? But if we have more devs, then, you know, it'll be a lot easier to, uh, you know, do more, you know, do more things at the same time. Um, so once we scale up our team, you know, we can go faster in our development and broader in our development. But I think what's going to make us, you know, really reach a larger audience is, you know, integrating ourselves into, you know, more and more and more things in the Ethereum ecosystem. Like if you look at Dai, it has you know, such a strong demand for it because it's used in so many different apps. I mean, it's even used as a, a native currency in the XDAI sidechain, right? So, like, if we can get more integrations and we can get it to be something that has a natural demand more than, you know, our own sponsored yield farms and stuff like that, then it's going to become sustainable. Uh, it'll become something that's in demand across DeFi, and if we can keep this up long enough, then it will become, you know, money essentially. And that, that's the goal in the end is to you know, have a very sustainable uh, ecosystem where, you know, people can, you know, bank on the fact that they can get their yield up front and, and do things with it afterwards, you know? So that's what we're really looking forward to. I mean, it would be really awesome if we could, you know, partner with payment processors to bring AliOSD into the real world. Um, but I think that might be more of a long-term vision. And we also have other plans uh, for like lots of different modules in version two, but we are not ready to talk about those yet. God, I'm going to pull a Hayden Adams on you guys and just keep V2 <laughs> all night long. We're just going to skip V2. We're going to skip V2 and just go straight to V3, okay? Funny you said that because uh, I think just 15 minutes ago, Uniswap just announced their V3. Uh, so oh my I, god, the yeah. tease is over. Uh, the tease is over. Uh, I, I was here for the memes, but now they're all over. <laughs> Turn it up to death. <laughs> hey, hey, Scoopy, could you kind of dive into just your take on how you guys handle yield farming incentives and emissions and staking and everything like that? Because there's so many ways to do it. Um, would love kind of your view on, you know, how it worked for you guys, you know, any things you would change and kind of just your take afterwards. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I consider myself one of the uh, earliest yield farmers uh, out there. I was uh, in the ETH, S ETH pools taking uh, their earning out uh, synthetics uh, back in, you know, 2019 before yield farming was even coined. And I've, you know, been a very avid yield farmer. Um, you know, all through 2020 and up till now as well. And I kind of just like looked around the ecosystem about like, you know, different yield farms and what I thought worked, what didn't work, and then tried to learn from all that to to build our model. And so with that in mind, like, I, I think 
synthetics was really like one of the key pieces, you know, just, you know, the OG yield farming thing. I, I really loved their emissions curve that they had in synthetics. And I thought that having, you know, a gradual, steady weekly drawdown in rewards uh, really helped to keep the liquidity sticky in the system. And even with the high inflation, like it was in synthetics, it didn't really, you know, cause a ton of sell pressure because, you know, the, the stakers were getting rewarded so much and that it would just pay so much more to stay and to keep on re-upping your, your position in the yield farms. So with that in mind, that's how we, we based our, uh, you know, our emissions curve, which is um, started off with uh, 22,344 tokens the first week of emissions. And then it goes down by 130 every single week for three years until the third year where it then stays flat at 2,200 a week. And the reason why we, we did a, a flat um, 130 token um, with uh decrement every single week instead of a percentage-based one is that we knew we needed to have a little bit more time to get all of the other assets that we plan to get out in the ecosystem. And if we were to, you know, go through most of the emissions curve in the first half of the first year, then it have enough ammo left to, you know, establish pegs and, and bootstrap a liquidity for any future tokens. So that's why we have the emission curve that we have. That's interesting. Um, also, I didn't that's... like vesting either because uh, I've been in a few programs that have vesting of their tokens and farming, and I didn't like that as a farmer. I was like, I want my tokens now. Yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> streamed rewards make sense. I mean, that's what I loved about Frax is just like, you know, you, you could lock up for the set amount of time you want and get a multiplier based on obviously the time and the, and the clarification ratio, but also you just get the stream rewards. And I guess, Scooby, my other question for you is, is there any like customization you'll let the users eventually do on their end? Like I know like, so you lock up die, you mint LUSD, you basically get a, you know, an advance of, I guess, 50%, I guess. Is there any way I could, as a user say, Hey, you know what, I'm going to lock up my die for you know 10 years. Could I even get a greater advance within that? Or am I thinking about that the wrong way? I don't think we're going to do anything like that. I definitely don't like the idea of locking anyone in. Um, even if it does, you know, offer a better return or a better rate. I, I, one thing I really love about our system is the flexibility. If you need to get out, you can always get out at any time. There's no lockup. You know, if, you know, you borrowed, all of you know your LUSD, then you lost it in a rug, and you need that collateral for something in life. You can liquidate your you know part of your collateral, you know, to pay off your debt, and then withdraw the rest. You know, I really, really like that flexibility. I think that like you know, imagine like you have an investment property with tenants, and it's paying you you money, and then like that the income from that is financing like a, a home equity line, right? Sort of that would be like an analog to Alchemix, right? But like, if you wanted to get out of it, you'd have to kick the tenants out of your building. You know, then you'd have to sell the property, and that uh, all is a lot of friction. And one thing I think that's really cool about Alchemix is that it's essentially frictionless. We don't charge any fees on liquidations or repayments or anything like that. You get in, you get out at any time. It's very friendly in that in that respect, and that's something I don't want to change. Yeah, that's fair. The flexibility and not being locked in is is super nice. And what a, I guess just thinking ahead, I mean, Jason kind of alluded to this earlier, but um, 
what what do you view as like the traditional like on your roadmap you have like additional dApps to expand the Alchemist ecosystem? What do you mean by that? Do you mean other people building like with AliUSD, or do you mean you guys will like fund different teams to build within it, or or how exactly are you think about that? Yes. <laughs> That's fair. Yes, That's we're going to do both of those things. Where we have plans to build more apps, we have a lot of uh, a few of our de- uh, of our devs are really big fans of NFTs, and they've uh, been brainstorming different ideas that we can use. You know, using somehow using the Al tokens or Alchemix uh, tokens as uh, currencies in those uh, in those own like our own platforms. There, um, we have been talking to uh, a handful of other protocols already. I know we've already uh, integrated ALCX tokens, or rather, Rary Capital. Shout out to Rary Capital. They've uh, integrated um, ALCX in their fuse pools, um, and that's really awesome. We're you know really big fans of Rary over here. Um, there's a few other ones that I'm not going to name just yet because they're you know a little bit hush hush, but we definitely are talking to different uh, uh, different projects and even different projects that are not even out yet. So, you know, we definitely want to, you know, integrate ourselves with, uh, you know, the wider DeFi ecosystem because we, we really see ourselves as synergistic with, you know, other people. We're not, you know, enemies of anyone else. I think we can enhance other people and other people can use us to enhance their own products. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Let's, um, let's pull some people in from the crowd to see what questions people have. Um, I'm sure people have questions after listening to, uh, to the whole conversation as well. Um, all right, cool. I think we got Joshua up here. Joshua, feel free to ask your question. Then we'll go to Jonathan. Thanks. Um, I, I really like what um, you guys are doing on Alchemix, and um, I also really like, like your memes as well, just as a side thing. Um, but uh, curious as to like if you could talk about. I don't know if this was talked about earlier. It seems like eGirl Capital is like so, uh, pretty instrumental in, in the, this coming about, and uh, just just like how you interact with them um, yeah yeah so um e-girl we like to say that we are a meme or a joke that takes itself very seriously um you know for a while we were just kind of like fooling around but we got really active and really serious over the last few months um really you know trying to approach products um we make investment theses for them we work with promotion um, everybody in eGirl has a very extensive network. So anybody that we, uh, we invest with, um, you know, we, we try to help them out by leveraging our own networks. Um, so we, it's not just like an ape in type of thing. Let's profit off of these projects. We really want to, we're very selective about who we, uh, invest in, um, because we think that, you know, we only want to promote the coolest stuff out there because we're more and more long-term uh, focused. We don't have any LPs that we owe anything to, so we can have that luxury. Um, so that's something that we really uh, pride ourselves on over at eGirl. And, you know, eGirl was really instrumental in helping Alchemics get an early boost. When we were, before we launched, we were like, well, it'd be really nice to have a, a liquid pool when we first start, but it was either I'm going to use all my capital, you know, I'm not quite a whale, you know, or I wasn't, you know, before, you know, we, we launched Alchemics or anything like that. And it was like the options was I'm going to use all my capital to see the, uh, the liquidity pool or we can go out and reach out to other people. And when I approached eGirl about it, you know, uh, a lot of the members were, you know, really supportive and they, they helped seed, you know, almost all of the initial liquidity for us. Um, there's another group uh, I'm close with called DeFi Chad's Ventures. Uh <laughs> 
actually we weren't even called DeFi's chance ventures until we got into the lge uh for you know liquidity generation event for our, our sushi pool um but then we were just like hey what if we become a vc firm e-girls doing it and you know just a meme became reality you know kind of so <laughs> and that's how things go um but it was really nice to have that boost from them. And then they, they did a really nice article outlining the investments with thesis on uh, Alchemix and its use case. And I think between them promoting it um, and, you know, some of the influencers uh, that are in eGirl, uh, that gave us a lot more visibility than, than just myself would bring to it. So, you know, and they've also been really helpful with uh, connecting us with uh uh, really good people to uh, help us out in various aspects. So, like, I can't say enough good things about eGirl. That's awesome. Cool. Thank you. Appreciate the question, Joshua. Let's uh, let's shoot over to Jonathan. Thanks a lot, to Tom, and also Scoopy. Great to hear the, the story so far. Um, what we see with like these large scale uh, digital asset custodians that are taking custody of you know large amounts of institutional capital, kind of moving into the crypto ecosystem, and as DeFi is kind of replicating various um, you know parts of the traditional financial system, I'm just wondering like what what are your thoughts around kind of institutions moving into the DeFi ecosystem and potentially utilizing services like you know what you're building? Oh man, that's a good question. I mean, I think it's just sort of the natural evolution of it. Um, as the crypto space gets larger and more liquidity gets added, you know, via Bitcoin and Ethereum and the other like large coins, especially stable coins, then they, they feel more comfortable jumping in. And then as, you know, DeFi matures and they get, they get used to seeing more of the, the products, structured products that they're used to seeing, like tranches and other fixed interest uh, lending models and stuff like that, then they're going to, you know, dip their toes in even more. And then as that happens, you know, it's going to be a snowball effect that their liquidity comes in, it gets more liquidity. And eventually you're going to see sort of like the, the two worlds merging together um, where of course there'll be, you know, people, power users who can use MetaMask and you know, all the other wallets and do everything manually. But I also think you're going to see, you know, you know, traditional FinTech just, hooking in to, to DeFi itself and abstracting everything for the user. So the user would be like, oh, I'm going to deposit, you know, you know, $1,000 into, you know, my Wachovia account and now I'm earning 8% interest. That's cool. You know, and it's going to be something just like that kind of going on. And, you know, the average user is not even going to know that it's on crypto rails. And I just think that's kind of like the, the natural evolution of where things are going. I mean, I think, of course, I would prefer people being sovereign users and not requiring uh, you know intermediary to do all this stuff but I, I'm just being realistic you know keeping up in DeFi and managing your finances in DeFi is very much like a full-time job and I don't think most people are prepared to do that so you know having some middlemen in, in, in the way that can take care of or take advantage of you know the advantage of, you know of DeFi then you know it'll be kind of like a happy medium for much of the world. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that, Jonathan. Let's go over to uh, Brian. Such a big fan. Uh, I think you guys have been doing fantastic things. I'm proud of AL6 bag holder. Uh, my question... <laughs> guess I got to state that. I need the badge for it. Uh, but anyway, uh, my question, it, it, it's kind of a two-part. So first, um, I think we've all seen the idea of under-collateralized credit as an on-chain application floated around. So there's been a few white papers on how can we create credit scoring and and, and put that on chain. My question to you is, do you see Alchemics playing a hand for potential 
kind of future of creditors on chain where, you know, they have a principle now that they can, you know, build a credit, a credit protocol with credit scores and use ALUSD such that their, their principles protected. Um, and then the second part of that question, which would expand off that is what do you see as the composability, uh, you know, aspect of Alchemix? So there's a lot of, you know, you know, if you have a, uh, a wallet, there's a lot of things that users can do, but what do you think, and this might be a really early question, but what other dApps will you see being built on top of Alchemix and use it autonomously? Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So the first one about, uh, kind of delegated credit, all I'm going to say is no comment wink wink okay uh, <laughs> um i'm not gonna elaborate any more on that or else i will get heated very hard and as far as integrations with other apps so i don't want to uh, kind of jump the gun and say who or what just yet but imagine you're in another protocol that takes you know a collateral um, that's earning yield on it. Wouldn't it be pretty cool if uh, at the same time you're in there that it could hook into Alchemix and you could uh, also borrow some LUSD while you're in there? Yes. I to play Minesweeper here and, and <laughs> or anything, but uh, thank you so much. <laughs> Take care. Thanks, Brian. Scoopy, it makes our job easy. Well, we got like 10 minutes left if you're still good to keep going. Yeah, yeah, I can do this all night, man. All right, cool, cool. Max, you're up. Hey guys, um, I guess I have two questions for Scoopy. Uh, one, a little bit more generally, um, I am just totally enthralled with uh, with the space and DeFi generally. Um, come from like an economics and markets background, and I want to like I want to get involved in like just making something myself. And I'm curious, like, well, I mean, one idea had you had that you actually took right out of well, uh, that's not original to me, but like providing some sort of way for you know, people not in crypto, but quote unquote normies to get a higher yield by, you know, providing their, their checking account balances basically. And then, um, me providing a sort of bridge for some of the yields that they can get in crypto is that, um, I mean, it's probably a number of projects do something similar to that, but like, that seems kind of scary. Like, I don't even know what laws and regulations and, and all is, is involved in that, but like, what do you think about? like doing projects like that i mean like do i need to be asking anyone's permission or should i just be doing it um what do you think about that um when you're interfacing with the the legacy finance world it's it's a lot trickier i don't really i i know that like some teams have had to go through a lot of hurdles to you know get like money transmitting licenses and and, and stuff like that in order to to make these things work i'm not terribly knowledgeable on it myself I consider myself more of a DeFi native. Like, you know, I only, you know, go to check my, my bank account like every couple of months just to make sure my credit card is paid off and stuff like that. But that's, that's really it. Maybe to, you know, withdraw a little bit of money, you know, from crypto so I can pay some bills, but I'm like 99.9% of my net worth is in crypto. So I, I largely shun the uh, traditional finance world at this point. So yeah, it's something that is doable, and I'd say, like, go for it, you know, because these things need to happen, and, you know, there's a lot of space available for it, but I'm not sure exactly how to best go about it. I, Maybe okay, Tom so or Jason knows more than I do about that. Yeah, it's a long, long conversation, probably for another pod, to be honest. <laughs> sure, I mean, Tom, I give you a follow. Um, I guess then, uh, like, what would you say, like, 
it just means like starting an idea and then pivoting. Like, is there, I'm just trying to like think about how it is that because um, it seems like DeFi is kind of limited to right now, like sticking collateral, borrowing against it, you know, um, and then also some of these like just different kind of borrowing and lending kind of iterations, which I like, but. Where is the like bottleneck to doing uh, something even bigger, more ambitious uh, in the space? I mean, that's a great way for me to plug one of my favorite projects, uh, Synthetics. I mean, they they have this amazing protocol that allows for unlimited liquidity and no slippage trades. So if you have any of their synthetic tokens, like whether that's a USD stablecoin or Bitcoin or Tesla stock, you can hop from one to the other without any slippage. You pay a small fee, like 0.3%, and you can go from one asset to another. I think that's incredibly powerful, and I think that's going to be something that is going to probably be bridged to the financial world, making me incredibly bullish on synthetics. It's you know one of those things that I've been farming since 2019 and not even sold one of yet. So, you know... Like, I think there's a ton of potential. I know that there's um, like Saffron Finance who are doing uh, debt tranches and stuff like that, offering more traditional structured products. So I think as DeFi matures, you're going to see just like kind of things that are just like mind melting and also a convergence of traditional finance in it. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you, Max. Um, let's go to CK and hopefully we give Scoopy a second to catch his breath. <laughs> yeah. Uh- Thanks so much. Uh, hi, Scooby. I asked you some questions in Discord before, and thanks for answering me those questions. And a question I want to ask is, uh, what are the risks that you think could harm the longevity of Alchemix that concerns you, and how would they be addressed? Because something like an insider smart contract hack in the case of Alpha really freaks me out. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that, that happened to Alpha is... Um, they had uh, this design pattern, it's called the proxy pattern. And with it, it allows for contract upgradability at the expense of immutability. So like you, the code can be changed. Um, and there, there are some like kind of unknown, unknown vulnerabilities in the proxy pattern, which is why our team has avoided it in general. We would rather make a system with modules that can be swapped in and out, and that way we can uh, have upgradability built into it, but without you know using experimental uh, design patterns in DeFi. Another thing that we did in Alchemix was um, we limited the uh, we limited uh, contract interactions to only externally owned accounts, so no smart contracts can interact with Alchemix V1, and we did that as like a draconian safety layer for alchemics because you know there's all sorts of like weird economic attacks that can be done with you know if somebody has enough capital and especially if they have a flash loan and doing this all in one atomic transaction uh it can lead to a lot of really weird stuff that you just can't test for and so out of an abundance of caution abundance of caution we we disabled uh smart contracts from interacting with uh version one Version two will be a little bit more open and it'll go through a lot more rigorous auditing. Uh, version one was uh, reviewed by uh, urine developers and a few other developers in the space. Uh, we're very confident in its security, but uh, you know, with more security reviews, we'll be able to open up the protocol more. And you know, of course, there's always a chance that there's a smart contract bug 
or there's a chance that the underlying urine vault could suffer an economic exploit. So, you know, always in DeFi, don't invest more than you are willing to lose, you know, and always know that there there is, you know, additional risk involved. So, you know, invest safely. Thanks, man. Love that. We're running low on time, so we'll go to the last two and we'll, we'll close out. Uh, Marino, you're up. I'll, I'll be quick. I'll be quick. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Okay, so I, so I have a, a few questions. I hope that's okay. Um, I, I'm going to try to be quick, though. Um, so I guess these are like uh, upfront paid bonds in a way, right? Like you're, you're committing to... to and is the, so is, the, is the, the, the loan coming from the yield or from the collateral? So are you paying... The, you know what I mean? Um, it's kind of both okay. um, because not only is like the die kind of backing it, you know, uh, you know, uh, but it's also the yield that is enforcing the peg at the same time. Uh, if you know, MakerDAO has a, a stability module that allows you to swap die and USDC together, and that helps stabilize uh, MakerDAO's uh, die peg. And the transmitter is kind of the analog uh, to uh, that, that stability module that uh, MakerDAO has. So together with you know it being over collateralized. Uh, and the transmitter module, uh, where, where, you know, imagine if LUSD really falls off the peg really terribly, then it becomes sort of like a bond at that point because, you know, if you wait for it to mature in the transmitter, then you'll be able to get out one for one, you know. So okay. you know, when it's when it's peg stable, it's a it's a stable coin, and it falls off the peg, then it becomes a bond. But uh, I think we're really confident in its ability to remain uh, pegged to the dollar. So this is kind of like um, algorithms. Algorithmic stablecoin, but it's also like used to unlock, uh, to like make yield pools liquid, kind of like what Lido is doing with ETH, maybe? Uh, I'm not um, terribly familiar with Lido uh, at this point. I know they're doing something with ETH2 staking, but I haven't looked into it too much. I can't comment on that. Okay. So I, like, I kind of have like a final thought. I mean, couldn't you like yield farm the loan that you got and like this thing will go on forever in a way yeah i mean that's what a lot of users are doing they're taking their iust that they're they're borrowing and then using it for more yield farming so you know not only are they earning you know the the 12 15 from urine but then they're going out seeking more yield so yeah it's it's a, it's a way to effectively increase your capital base for you know even more yield that's awesome and marino great questions but just in the essence of time we'll go to toma and then we'll close out Hey, um, I'm just working on some like cross-chain deployments across uh, EVM compatible chains, and I'm like, I'm wondering what your thoughts on like, you know, the different interoperabilities are like that needs to happen on like layer twos to work. Because I'm just realizing like a lot of bridges into other things, side chains, they're locking, they're minting, and like it, it just seems fucked up, and it seems like there's no standards for like any of these L2s of like they're going to be able to switch back and forth. And I'm just curious on like, if you're building in this space and you're trying to be chain agnostic, right? Like how, how can you build your DAP or protocol to, you know, um, to be as interoperable, I, I guess, with all the different um, options that you have now? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's one of those things is that like, we're really early to the era of, uh, kind of multi-chain uh, DeFi and the multi-chain world in, in general. There's definitely a few projects that interest me uh, in this in this space of kind of bridging everything together. One of them is uh, Connext, 
they they use state channels, uh, and you can swap uh, tokens from any EVM chain to any other EVM chain. Like you could even take Robston Ethan, you know, or Robston like tokens and bring them onto the, like the mainnet. Um, you could go to XDAI, you can go to Rollups, you can go to Matic, and when or you can go to BSC, you could go to Avalanche uh, using this method. And then when uh, you know the Tendermint ecosystem matures more with their Ethermint protocol, I know that there's a lot of uh, plans for the uh, you know the Cosmos SDK in the future to to talk with Ethereum. So you know these things are going to be happening in time, and these bridges are going to be happening at time. We're just really early to it. You're going to see lots of innovations. I know um, Andre and Yearn are working on cross asset swaps using Phantom um, and other blockchains. I know that uh, for Optimism, uh, MakerDAO is offering a bridge uh, using DAI that's going to make it really fast. Like, you know, it's not going to take a week to get off of Optimism with your DAI. It's going to be pretty much instantaneous. You know, I think like the ZK roll-up stuff is is really, really promising, even though it's a, it's a little bit early at the, at the moment uh, because they have these fraud proofs that allow you to withdraw like immediately. So there's no like, you know, lockup time for that. Um, I just think we're just really early in this space. Uh, but you know, when there's more liquidity bridges, when there's, uh, you know, native protocol to protocol swaps using something like ThorChain, then like this stuff is really going to come to fruition. I think that that's going to be a big theme. I don't know about this year, but definitely in the in the near future and, and crypto. I mean, I guess it'll feel like years, but it will only be like a year or two, you know? Yeah, thank you. I, my, my ultimate dream is, you know, uh, cross-chain loans where I can deposit my asset on one thing and then I can actually borrow it on a different chain. So that'd be cool. Yeah. Having those be atomic is going to be hard, but like, if you're able to wait, like, you know, time for, you know, print transactions to, to go across chains, then, you know, they'll definitely be cross chain DeFi in the future. Awesome questions, Toma and Scoopy. I know it's getting late by you and I want to respect everyone else's time. So we'll, uh, we'll cut this off, but you know, just a couple of disclosures. Um, we're obviously invested in you guys through Delphi ventures, um, I'll let Jason uh, give his disclosure, but you know, as well after me. Um, also, shout out to my partner Paul for covering you guys early on, and I, I just really appreciate your time, Scoopy. We love what you guys are doing, um, so keep on building. Yes, uh, thank you for listening to my TED talk. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks everybody. Awesome, thanks so much, guys. We'll uh, we'll all chat soon. All right. Bye. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please support the show by hitting subscribe on iTunes, writing a review, or sharing this episode on Twitter and LinkedIn. And stay tuned for our next episode out soon.